0: Hey folks, welcome back to the Into the Storm Leaders podcast. We're glad that you tuned back in for this episode. Today's a two-parter. It's about the wheel of leadership, as we've called it here at Culture Shock. By no means is it all-inclusive of the many characteristics and qualities that make up an effective leader, but it's a dang good start. So what I would encourage you to do, use this as an opportunity to take an inventory, an honest self-assessment of the areas that you feel are strengths, and the others that you probably need to put a little bit more focus or attention in In order to level up your leadership and become somebody else's peak leader in this first episode we're focusing on setting vision and day-to-day leadership for episode two we're talking more about positive accountability and driving engagement in your team there's 12 characteristics in total we'll add a little bit of context to each one of them we didn't try to reinvent the wheel with any of these we kept it simple but wanted to add some context so that that way you could take something actionable from each one of these to become a better leader today. Hope you get something out of this. As always, let us know if you have any feedback. And if you want to get a downloadable version of this coaching driver, find it in the description wherever you're watching or listening to this episode of Into the Storm Leaders. Welcome to Into the Storm Leaders, the no BS podcast that ignites leadership potential and sparks innovation in the ever-evolving business landscape we all work in. I'm Joe Jurek, your host and catalyst for growth, joined by my co-host and Culture Shock senior coach, Pete Hansberger. Together, we embark on a journey to uncover the strategies, mindsets, and actions that drive truly exceptional leadership and winning culture. Whether you're an emerging leader looking to level up in your career or an accomplished executive seeking fresh perspectives, join us as we uncover inspiring stories and thought-provoking insights from proven leaders and share practical takeaways that enable courageous leadership. Get ready to charge into the storm and become a catalyst for better workplace culture. Well, here we are, Pete. We've got a few of these under our belt. I welcome back, folks, to the next episode of Into the Storm Leaders.
1: Welcome back. Feels good to be back. We've got a little bit of a new look with the headphones on.
0: I know. We're, we're figuring some things out, learning as we go. Sounds like uh, there's a reason that people wear
1: headphones when they're podcasting. Yeah, the, the sound quality, at least to us, is is significantly better. And Joe even ordered orange top of the strap for the headphones. So we're on brand here, folks.
0: That that was the idea. That was the idea. Pete, it's been a little bit since i seen you.
1: It really has. Yesterday, first day back in the office, was out of town last week, getting a little bit more cultured, working with a client in Mexico. So it was an awesome experience. A lot of travel, three flights to get there each way from the Midwest. But um really rewarding work really good people that i worked with and was in a manufacturing plant for two straight days working with plant leadership and uh had a good time you know challenging environment challenging team but a team that really cares and that's you know that's energizing regardless of the jet lag or anything like that when you work with a team that you can tell especially leadership cares a lot about the success of the plant the success of the team but even how people feel when they show up to work, you know that's a it's a cool place to be, and that's what I felt last week
0: for sure. You were sending me some pictures and stuff that looked cool. I was expecting to see you like running with the bulls and you didn't get that far, but tell us more about where in Mexico you actually were, and then you shared with me some cool things about that city,
1: yeah, I was in a city that's in central Mexico, and so I'm not on a resort town, not on the on you know on the the beaches or anything like that, more of a desert area. Um, but a, a city in and of itself and right down the street from my hotel was an actual bullfighting arena. And my only disappointment was that there were no shows that were happening that, uh, that evening. And, you know, I, I would, would have loved to see no doubt, bullfight, but ne- maybe next time
0: it, it sounds like you've, you've got a few other trips going down that way. So I feel like you're, you're probably going to check it out at some
1: point. True. Well, and like I said, you know, getting a little bit more cultured was a little tongue in cheek, but. You know, to be able to witness how a different country operates, business leadership, management, team building, trust building, uh, is actually, you know, rounding out what I know about leadership. And you know, my experience primarily has been limited to the continental United States with right uh, with the work that we do at Culture Shock. But every once in a while, we get out and about a little bit. Joe, I know you went to Barbados in uh, January, February of this year. Ron has been out of the country at leadership conferences. Um, here and there as well. But, uh, but just a- any experience like that gives you a, a little bit of a, a different perspective on how-, how people do business.
0: Right. And kind of reinforces that this, a lot of this stuff is universal.
1: Absolutely. Right? There's of- some nuances, you know, and-, and there's some interesting things culturally to-, to discuss related to use of language or use of tone and body language and things like that. And, you know, some subtle differences in terms of what's important. But the majority building trust, communicating effectively, holding people accountable in a positive way. Everything we talk about within its leadership all applies regardless of where you go. And you experienced that in Barbados too, right? Oh, for sure.
0: For sure. And with that, we had people from all over the US that came in for that conference uh, and from actually Europe and all over the place. Um, but its leadership is people, right? It's relationships, no doubt. it's understanding how to connect how to drive people, how to influence more than anything else. So that's kind of the premise for today, right? And there's going to be some consistent themes as we do these. We have another episode being recorded later today with one of our first guests.
1: Very excited about that.
0: Me too. Me too. And we have quite a few lined up now uh, over the coming weeks that, you know, we've been in conversations with a lot of our clients, a lot of, uh, owners and just successful business leaders and I, I'm pumped to get some of them on, but I also enjoy when we get a chance to sit down and and you know kind of talk leadership and talk some things that uh, I think our audience will will find value in so uh, what we were looking at in anticipation of today are just what what managers need to be effective, right like what training, what skills. Do first-time managers need? Do accomplished managers need to refresh on? We ask a lot of people, pretty much everyone we come into contact with, what does your peak leadership experience look like? Because through that exercise, we, we find out what are those characteristics, what are you striving to emulate, and where are the areas that you need to work harder on? And through asking a lot of folks that, whether they be coaching clients or uh, connectors, friends, just people in the network and those that we're working with all the time, we've been able to take, well, actually you were able to take, and you introduced me to this and we're rounding it out when I first started here, but uh, there's this coaching driver called the wheel of leadership. Can you talk about that a little bit more and we'll we'll dig into this a little and, and talk about the different components that make it up?
1: Absolutely, and I was just listening to the episode with you and Ron yesterday, and you were talking about peak leadership experience, and we've mentioned that probably on every episode so far. And you know, to define that a little bit, in case anybody's never heard that phrase or term, um, not to be redundant, but you know, I think of peak leadership when I think of who's the best leader that I ever worked for, you yep. know, and it could be it could be a job that you had, it could even be. A teacher in school, it could be a coach that you had in an athletic sense, it could be a theater director if that's you know if that's something you're interested in, if it could be a band leader older um, sibling an relative. older sibling a rel- yeah absolutely um but but really, who provided you the best leadership experience you've ever had and and it must have you know driven you to accomplish more um changed you potentially in the better for the better in some way, but who gave you that best experience and as we you know as we worked with coaching clients going back several years now, that's something that's come up time and time again, because one-on-one clients in some form or fashion, regardless of what their objective is, it rolls up to, I want to be a better leader. I want to be a better influencer of my team members. I want to communicate better with them. I want to be somebody that's more well-respected, somebody that helps drive performance and accountability. And so we started asking the question, well, how does somebody know if they're a well-rounded leader? If they are somebody who's Has a high likelihood of providing a peak leadership experience to somebody else on any given day. And that's where this wheel of leadership coaching driver came from. It came, the majority of that came directly from one coaching client. But then we started asking other coaching clients and and thinking about conversations we've had with other clients in general. And this is, is what we developed. And, you know, if I can answer the question, how do I know if I'm being a peak leader day to day? Can I measure myself any given day in each of these components? Uh, it provides some clarity. It provides a little bit of understanding, so that we're not wondering all the time. Because if you're listening to this, you're probably in a position where you've wondered at least once in the last 30 days to 90 days. You know, am I doing a good job as yeah. a leader? You know, I feel like I'm doing a good. I'm trying hard, but am I well-rounded in this area? Where do I have room to to improve? you know, what are some of the strengths I want to build on? And we talked before we started recording today about, there's almost a, an assumption or a prerequisite to using the wheel of leadership. And that is you have to want to be a good leader. And you have to have a little bit of that learner mindset where you're willing to analyze yourself a little bit. And that's what we talk about, vulnerability-based trust and the humility. You have to have some of that humility to say, For sure. I might look at this wheel and I might see an area in which I am currently weak. And it might hurt a little bit to hear that, but the best leaders, the ones that we, you know, we admire the most and who have given us our pre- peak leader experience, have a little bit of that humility where they're willing to always work on themselves in addition to um, driving accountability for others.
0: If they weren't, they probably wouldn't be too many people's peak leader. 100%. Right? And this is uh, a healthy way to just take an inventory of your skills, of your strengths, Look, we do the SWOT analysis in business all the time, where you identify strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. We don't often apply that to ourselves and do it in more of a personal way. And we'll we'll talk more about that in a future episode, and we'll, we'll have some other exercises there too. But with this, just specifically looking at these 12 things, and granted, there are a ton of components that go into being an effective leader. But we can focus on all those things, or we can simplify it down and say, if we're strong at most of these, we're probably going to be pretty dang good. And if we're always working to get better, then what more can
1: you really ask for? Right. That's at, at its core, you know, the deepest level. If you care about being a good leader, if you want to work on yourself, you know, you can pick these things out one by one and work on them. You could look at 99 different. Small components of being a leader. We believe that we've captured the general essence, um, and maybe going back to the eighty-twenty rule, you know, these twelve components might be twenty percent of the actual components are out there, but they they cover eighty percent of the qualities that are really needed to make you a well-rounded leader. So, yeah, you know, there is that that temptation. I think a lot of times to always look for the next component or always look for the next thing, but. You know, we become masters of none pretty quickly if we're trying to get better at ninety-nine different areas. So twelve might even be a lot, but it's simplified down to the point where, you know, we even break these twelve down into four separate areas yeah, like or four, four quadrants. Quadrants. So not... yeah, there, we we make it a little bit detailed in you know in, within each of those quadrants, but um, if we can keep things simplified and and have you not asking yourself, keeping yourself up at night you know, with the 99 different things. Did I do this yesterday? Did I do that yesterday? Every once in a while, if we're reviewing this simple wheel and and just thinking about where am I doing a great job or, you know what, maybe I'm not doing a bad job, but I haven't put a lot of effort or time into this one area lately. Maybe it's time to to reengage with that.
0: Yeah. I think that is... One of the most crucial aspects of leadership is having some process for a gut check. Definitely. For an assessment of what am I doing right? Where do I need to put a little bit of extra effort and attention? Because the more senior you get into your career, the less other people are telling you, right? The less accountability that you get from others, because early on, it comes from everywhere. You're getting it from your parents, you're getting it from your teachers, you're getting it from your first boss, and at the organization you're a part of early in your career, there's a lot of layers of right? And as you grow, just that natural accountability comes from fewer and fewer places. It becomes more and more up to you. True. To really be able to identify and not live in this fantasy lane. If I'm doing all these things exceptionally well, like we, we need to find out and this is just one way to pulse check but let's take a step back for a moment and talk about like why what, what do you think managers are up against right it's first time manager or somebody gets thrown into a role or promoted into a role that they worked really hard for uh what are some of the dynamics that lead to that person even if they want it kind of falling or faltering or having a negative impact on the people that they're
1: leading well this this reminds me of recent history. A few clients that I'm working with now are are either turnaround facilities where somebody purposely joined as a leader to try to help turn around the culture or turn around the performance of a facility. and so you know, imagine you're thrust into a situation where um, they really the stakes are high and, and you really need to perform as a leader. so understanding where to start in those areas, even if you inherit a good team, is kind of overwhelming sometimes and some things that we're up against, you know, there might be a lack of clarity as far as who does what within the organization. There might be a lack of clarity as far as where does this department want to go? What are we really working toward? Because you can pedal really fast in a number of different directions and not really get anywhere, you know, in a circle and end up in the same place that you were when you started. So the lack of sort of direction, um, what the plan is, tends to be something that, that uh, is, is a struggle to overcome and can be overwhelming. We've seen things like um, just inability to to trust your team members, and and we can go back to all the the characteristics that we talk about in the its leaders program. Um, but the lack of trust or lack of even familiarity with your team is something that we need to address quickly. And you know we've talked before about accelerating trust. Um, that's something we can do there. But things like that, things like ineffective communication, the struggle to do that, um, not only you know on a big picture but day to day you know what do these little interactions need to look like that can be something that we're up against as leaders um, the the awkwardness that comes with having difficult conversations you and Ron covered it quite a bit in the last episode but that that's a real thing and especially if you're new to a team and you inherit a team or you join a team that has had people work in that team for 10 20 30 years and now you that you're the new person I mean, that's a that's a difficult situation to navigate. And then the ongoing, from our standpoint, the ongoing uh, ear to the ground as far as how are, how's the team doing? Will they honestly tell you if people are struggling? Can you have the awareness, both self-awareness and situational awareness, to know if things are going well, things are, are not going well, and then uh, work on that? So those are a few things that, in my opinion, you're up against whether you're a brand new leader in a team, whether you've been in a team for a while, um, whether you're starting a new team. Uh, I'm curious to hear your thoughts, though, too, as far as coming into this. You know, what, where are some of the pitfalls or some of the struggles that you know, feel like an uphill battle?
0: I feel like many just don't know what they don't know. Great right? point. And while many of us are fortunate enough to have had that peak leader experience, and someone who served as the model for what right looks like, and not just from the business acumen and understanding the ins and outs of the type of work that you do, but also the connection piece, the how to motivate and inspire piece, and how to be process-driven, and all these sort of different things that are balled up together. Now, there's something to be said about that, and we often talk about there's this kind of debate. Do you learn more from your peak leader or do you learn more from adversity and a tough situation, somebody who you work for and it, it causes you so much pain, so much angst that you're like, ooh, that's going to stick with me. I'm going to do the exact opposite when I become a manager one day. But when people do become managers, often they're thrown into it without this sort of ramp up where they actually get leadership training and they're not promoted because they already have all these leadership abilities. A lot of times it's because they've stuck around and they're the most senior person or they've been a top performer because not all companies have shifted to this mindset where they have a high performance individual contributor track, right? The only way up is into management. And there's a big difference between managing people and things often Folks aren't really cut out for leadership or it seems that way because they've just not been armed with the right tools and skills.
1: Yeah, maybe you can manage your own schedule really well, but managing the schedule of six other people, that's a whole different ballgame. It
0: gets dicey, right? It, it does change things quite a bit because the human factor is involved and what a variable. Right. Every interaction is going to be a little bit different and the, the skill set just dramatically shifts from being an individual contributor to being a leader.
1: Well, and that's 90% of our clients, I think, that, that I work with, they will say to me some variation of, the reason we want to get manager training or coaching is because we had somebody who was really good at what they did, and we promoted them into a management position without giving them the requisite skills to be in that management position. And still in 2023, almost everyone says that in some form or fashion because leadership is busy, client, you know, clients are demanding, customers are demanding. Um you know, in a perfect world they would have internal resources to at every client size or level to handle it all themselves. But most small businesses we work with, mid sized businesses and even some larger organizations, you know, that that hire us will say we do have some internal resources, but we need help from outside resources as well. And um that's that's a big reason why, you know, we have we have so many clients is because um you know, they don't have enough resources to provide just the time and attention required because, you know, to do it right, we think there is a lot of time and attention required. And and to answer the question, now you know what you don't know, you know, it takes a lot of time and and information. And part of our hope for this episode right now is to tell you what, you know, what we think you might not know and to answer that question a little bit because it's, that's a tough place to be. Anytime I'm trying to solve a complex issue, if I'm not an expert, or even, you know, trying to fix my own lawnmower and get it to start, which is happening, you know, now for me. If I don't know what I don't know, I'm I'm just kicking different tires and and poking around at things. So you have to find out what you don't know in order to to make it better. So yeah. that's hopefully over the next twenty to thirty minutes. Uh, if you're in a leadership position now, you you manage other people, or if you aspire to be in a leadership position. Or even if you're a great individual contributor and you just want to be a really good teammate to the rest of your team and influence without authority, as we talk about, we're going to try to answer that question for you. What do you not know? Um, what does a well-rounded leader look like, and what are some easy things you can implement very quickly to uh, to become more of that well-rounded person?
0: Yeah, and look, even if you're you're an executive listening to this and you're like, I, I could have I could have written your wheel of leadership. <laughs> I, I've done right. this. My I've whole lived life. It. Because we we say this all the time as well, folks. It's like we're, we're students of leadership ourselves. We're continually learning. We're always trying to uh, learn from everywhere, everywhere around us and iterate and enhance our own thinking and just continue to get better. And I, I would encourage you, even if there's not things on here that are earth shattering, we're like, I've never heard this before. Use it as a chance just to reflect and to do that honest self-assessment that, clarity break for a moment to say what am how would I rate myself in each of these uh, so that that way coming out of it you've got a blueprint for well these three things I had the lowest rating when I was honest with myself about it so that's where I'm gonna apply some additional focus like, sure there's that, a big difference
1: yeah there's a difference between knowing how to do something and executing it on a daily basis you know we just probably don't have the time to be executing all 12 of these components at a hundred percent effectiveness all the time right there is times we're going to be better than others and there's times we're going to fall short in some areas and really have to double down on other areas
0: and look li- life happens for the same reason that people can't always develop their new managers or just develop their teams the way that they want to humans are busy Yep, we have time management issues and... well tell
1: tell us if you are doing all these things really well please contact us come on the podcast and explain to the listeners you know, alongside of us, what are you doing that's working so For well? sure. Or
0: even if there's <laughs> some of them and you want to share your success. I mean, the idea with this is that, you know, we take real world stories and I think there there's something relatable and inspiring about that when you hear somebody who's been able to take uh, a, a challenge or one of these gap areas and, and charge through it and turn it into a strength. And uh, without further ado, we'll start breaking these down here. I'll tell you, if you want to Uh, See this, you can download a copy of it as well. I'll make sure that it's posted uh, in the description of most places that you'd be seeing or listening to this, and then also on uh, cultureshock.com. So uh, for any resources that we ever go through, uh, you you can always get the downloadable copy of them as well. That way you can take it back to your teams, have a conversation, uh, and if you're driving in the car or something like that and you you don't have the chance to to watch the video that we're recording... Uh, it'll at least give you something to look back on and follow up with your folks. Folks on, so sure. let's start at that highest level, Pete. Uh, you said there's four quadrants that you know kind of encompass this. We'll start with number one and just take us through, and then we'll we'll dig into each a little bit further.
1: Absolutely. So the four quadrants here, in terms of at any time, am I a well-rounded leader? Number one is that I'm providing clear vision for my team, my department, my entire organization. If you're the boss, you're the CEO. Um, it could be for your family if you want to think about this in a personal context. Sure. Quadrant number two is the day-to-day leadership. So if we have the vision taken care of, people know where we're where we're headed um, to the best of our ability, and of course that can change as well over time. But we want to understand, you know, what I need to be doing on a day-to-day basis, the right habits, behaviors that I am employing um, each day and and uh, each week. Number three then would be the positive accountability quadrant. And we've talked about this quite a bit. We always somehow get around to positive accountability in almost that's any leadership lot. conversation. But that's in addition to you know day-to-day, if we're providing the right behaviors and activities and habits day-to-day, are we holding people accountable? Because that is such a critical piece of leadership. And then quadrant number four is driving engagement. So people understand what the plan is how they can execute it. We're doing the right uh, habits and driving those habits day to day. We're holding people accountable in a positive way, having great conversations. Uh, we want to have our ear to the ground, understand what the, you know, what the pulse is of the organization, how the morale is doing, how engaged our team is doing, whether or not they're developing and being empowered on a regular basis. So we want to make sure that you know that we are driving engagement of team members. So. We can provide clear vision, day-to-day leadership, positive accountability, and drive engagement. That is a very well-rounded leader. Sure.
0: And I, I see this as oh, all of these are components of leadership, but with the vision, that's that's lead. With day-to-day leadership, that's there's going to be some managing in there. And then positive accountability and driving engagement, a lot of that is coaching. Absolutely. It, it's the person who is driving your team, who is there to get better performance from them, to help open their eyes to things, help develop them, help them grow and to really move the business forward, right? Which is the job of a coach. So leaders wear many hats, right? And I think we, we need to pick up and dust uh, dust them off every once in a while, depending on the situation that we're in, uh, to, because like we said, th- there's, hey, this is not news to anybody listening to this. You know that there's a lot that goes into uh, managing humans. So when we talk about clear vision, that that first quadrant, let's dissect it a little bit further. There's three components of that. We'll sure, break those down for us. Bea. Three components
1: here. Are, number one, construct the plan. Like I said, for your department, for your company as a whole, for your nonprofit organization, for your sports team. You know, what is the plan? What's our identity? What do we want to be about? Yeah, let's, number... let's stick on that. Okay, sec
0: and kind of take them one by one here, because I think not. You're always involved in setting plan, depending on where you come in. So at least that's how many might perceive it. They come into a middle manager role, even a director or a VP role, and the the plan has been set, vision has been set by your executive team. But even down to the, say you're running a region or district or uh, a team at a certain plant or something like that, they're still bringing that plan to life, right? Constructing the execution for that plan. And I think the components that I see as being important here is that you're a big picture thinker and yep. you can predict what's out in front of you that maybe others don't see because they can't see the forest through the tree. They're in it, right? This is where stepping back to work on your business instead of in the business is vital, right? That, that's something that often goes overlooked. Sure. Any other thoughts there
1: on the plan? Yeah, you mentioned taking the time to predict. And I would even say to attempt to predict, you know, because you may not be able to predict, you may get some predictions wrong, but we see some clients that don't even attempt to predict. And that creates this environment where people just feel like they're showing up, clocking in, clocking out, and there's no bigger purpose to like, why am I here? So when you hear people talk about, it's just a job, the just a job mentality, A lot of times, that's because there's not been someone casting a vision and and doing the work to to try to predict, to take history as a you know learning indicator and try to predict the future accordingly, or just you know be aware of sort of macroeconomic things that are happening, but also what you're seeing, what you're hearing from your own clients and customers to attempt to make that plan. And when we're building it, like you said, the plan might already exist, but I would you know. I would encourage in terms of constructing, well, how do we plan on executing our piece of this to the best of our abilities? And then get your team excited about that, rally around, okay, this is the big picture plan. Maybe I didn't have control over that necessarily, but here's what we're doing as an organization. And guess what? We have an exciting opportunity to be part of that, uh, execution of that, to hit this target, to hit this goal. And, And that, you know, how we're going to do it can be part of, constructing the plan regardless of how much influence you have over the you know the plan or the the specific hard numbers themselves
0: you might not be coming up with the company name and <laughs> right. the 10-year the forecast and things like that but you're surely part of the strategy and that takes us into the next uh component from this clear vision quadrant which is communicate the plan right
1: and painfully simple but Not that easy to do all the time. Oh, boy. Uh,
0: This is one of the major areas for disengagement, complacency, burnout. People don't understand their part to play. And it's because while there may be clear vision, while there may be a really good plan in place, it's not filtered down or it's not cascaded or it's not put in somebody else's language and in their world like, here's how the work you're doing has an impact on the larger plan. That's when we have, we've done culture consultations with organizations and uh, one-on-one interviews with cross-functional groups and things. And we, every, it's like every different business unit and function is critical to this machine, but that's often not stated or made made to be a big enough deal right it's not communicated enough uh to get everyone rowing together because they know not only what's in it for them but what their part to play
1: is and one thing that i think about too is you know don't assume your team knows the plan we we hear that quite a bit and you mentioned in the um those culture consultation interviews we've done at least one client in the last two years that you and i have been involved in we've heard different goals or different big picture objectives or an understanding that that is just completely different between members of different departments so one department will say well I, I don't remember I think I think this is kind of our big picture goal and someone else will say no I, I'm very sure it's this this other thing yeah. and so we've heard this these mixed messages which you know isn't disastrous in and of itself but we think that there's opportunity to be you know to be more aligned as a team and to be uh, more efficient in pursuing the the goals and the plan if everybody knows what they are, and they're shared quite frequently.
0: For sure. Well, it's that when we talk about everyone rowing together, if you've got even one person in the boat rowing in the opposite direction, it's going to slow you down. Yep. And when there's confusion, when a plan is communicated once and not followed up on, it's like we repeat ourselves on the things that matter most. We make time for the things that matter most. When it comes to vision, when it comes to values, like they can't just be a part of onboarding. Leaders have to, it's their, it's gotta be their personal mission to keep that stuff alive in the work that you're doing. Because otherwise they're just words on the wall. They're they're nice to haves, but they're not a part of the culture, a part of the fabric of the organization, right? So we gotta take that part seriously uh, and, and keeping that alive. and. I think from there, it takes us into the third uh, aspect of that clear vision. And this one, I think if we just spent the rest of this pod talking about this, a lot of good would come from it for a lot of people because it's maybe not seen or perceived by a- as many people as this fundamental or top 12 leadership ability or skill. But without it, chaos occurs, right? Th- things start to fall apart and there's miscommunication and confusion and uh, lack of understanding and-, and conflict that's unnecessary rather than healthy. The third one is setting clear expectations.
1: Yes. And I think what you said about onboarding is a great metaphor for the uh, opportunity to set good expectations and continue that or to let that fall off a cliff. You know, if you do a 90-day or a 100-day onboarding program for a new employee and then at the end of the 100 days you just say, "All right, your onboarding is complete. Good luck." And you you let them be. You know, that's failing them and that's not consistently communicating the plan but also clear expectations for them moving forward. And believe it or not, that happens a lot with, "Hey, I did my job. I checked the onboarding box." Right. Now it's, you know, sink or swim for them. It's not my problem anymore. But if you want them to be successful and you want them to add value to the team consistently, we need to continue to to set and reset clear expectations on a regular basis. So we recommend sharing the plan and communicating that with your team and then setting and resetting expectations at least quarterly with everybody and that's involved in executing the plan, which should be everybody in your entire organization. Um, but as far as clear expectations, other things that I think about there are, you know, in specific scenarios that come up time and time again, who does what? Who's expected to, to, to take the, the handoff from somebody to advance the project, you know, to this point, at which point they hand it off to another person? Or if somebody calls the main office line with this question, who's the right person that it should get, uh, should get sort of wired to that they answer that question? We spent entire half days and even full days with groups just trying to answer that question. You know, who does what? Where does my authority start and stop? What are my expectations in this scenario, this scenario, this scenario? The more we can communicate that, the better.
0: I'm glad you took it there because when you said even quarterly, I was like,
1: no, every day, every conversation
0: that we have is a chance to set clear expectations. What's often missed or assumed is that when you set those expectations, that they are understood or agreed to. And the, the secondary piece of this, or or piece that really makes it real, is confirming understanding or clarifying understanding. And look, we I had a, a group in our program not too long ago, and we were talking about this in particular, and it's like, how do I do that without sounding like an a-hole? Where I I don't want to just be like, hey, you're dumb, repeat what I just said so I know that uh, you're listening. Right. How do you do it in a way that's not demeaning, but that also ensures it's crystal clear on both sides? Because without those expectations, you can't have accountability. You can't, it it makes everything so much harder. So what we had come up with, and I've, I, I'm curious if you have anything that you can add on to this too, Peter, another approach, but uh, what we've seen work really effectively is that combo of humility and clarity where by saying, hey, I don't always communicate these things clearly. Do you mind telling me what you got from that? Yep. It's so simple, but by putting some of the ownership on yourself as a communicator... That other person doesn't feel so, you know, like you're talking down to them. It's just, hey, I want to make sure that we're on the same page because I'm not always concise and clear when we're when we're going through these things. I could have very well missed something, so help me make sure that I communicated that right. I think that that's a really effective way of confirming that understanding. Short of having somebody write it down, get commitments you know, take it to that degree, you, you can naturally ask somebody for that confirmation uh, in every interaction just to make sure you're on the same page. Right,
1: right, I love that. That mutual verbal confirmation is what we're looking for. We want to still treat people like professionals and like adults. One other way that I've I've found success doing that is just trying to restate everyone's individual responsibilities all at one time toward the yeah. end of a conversation. So, okay, so just to recap this conversation, you're you're doing this this week your big objective is this this week you're doing this and sort of stopping and pausing for a second or two after each just so that person one person you know each person can nod their head or they can you know verbally say yes got it good to go and so if we do that we spread it out to everybody and it's not just one person saying do you understand this please repeat it back to me um that, that tends to, to go over well too, because you're you're sort of closing the loop in that way
0: if If you're doing stand-up meetings at the beginning of a week or beginning of a work day, or even you you're doing any sort of team meetings and you don't recap action items with clear responsibility and timelines on those, what are you doing? like that it's it's such an e- that one is not just simple but an easy step to remember to. Just clarify at the end of any sort of conversation, right? Uh, and that's something that we're hyper disciplined around because of EOS and the the level ten meeting structure uh, that that you know we operate on. We and some of our team members are implementers for. But just even if you're not an EOS run company, making sure at the end of every meeting that there are clear next steps, boom, it is such a such a win, such a way to get stuff done faster,
1: uh, with clear expectations. Definitely. And I like too the, you know, we're going to reset expectations for this month. Here's our big objective as a company for this month. And then if you ask somebody to elaborate on it a little bit, that is asking for them to, to explain it back to you without, you know, demeaning anybody. So, Hey, can you, you know, here's a big objective. Can you tell me kind of what this means to you, or can you elaborate on this for me a little bit? What does that look like? Yeah, or what, what's your plan to execute this? You know, to ask that, it, it then transfers some of the ownership to that person so now they feel, okay, part of this responsibility is on me to, to take this clear expectation and show somebody what my plan is to execute it.
0: That's by doing this step and putting that, like, having that curiosity-led approach yet again. You'll hear us say that till we're blue in the face. Whether it's a performance review, whether it's the beginning of a project, by asking those questions instead of just saying it, like I was working with a group a, a couple weeks ago, and they kept just repeating things in different ways. Where if it seemed like somebody was confused, they would change up how they said it and say it two or three more times, trying to like force the square peg into the round hole, right? Instead of just asking. And, and so often that that's the the critical step. Hey, let, let's move over into the day-to-day leadership. So uh we we hit on in clear vision. there's construct the plan, communicate the plan, set clear expectations. Why don't you take us through the next uh the next one that we have under under day to day?
1: Sure. so we've given ourselves a chance to achieve greatness with the first quadrant. Now, this one is about putting the work in. so we have drive, process, solve issues, and give great feedback. Now, process is a challenge for most organizations, ours included, different personalities sort of dictate how uh how much you like or rebel against process. But regardless, that's part of our job is to, you know, as leaders and managers, to make sure people are doing what they're supposed to be doing, to follow it away so that you're not limiting their creativity, but you're actually unlocking creativity. Because if I can follow a general set of of uh fundamentals and it's different, you know, some people, some organizations need really, really, you know, detailed checklists and processes. Some it's more you know, the fundamentals, but we can innovate on top of the fundamentals, but we need to be really good at doing that and and ensuring that people understand how critical it is that we follow the steps because so much chaos revolves around not following the processes the way you need it and I am a perpetrator of that from oh. time to time here um, and and it does it's slow things down, it causes more work for admin team and for operations team and for any other team if we individually are not. Doing our part in that way.
0: Yeah. And I'm, I rebel against it as well. Like I I self coach the hell out of myself to be more process driven. And I've gotten fairly decent at establishing SOPs and process because of the, how important the need is at different stages throughout my journey. But my natural state is kind of flying by the seat of my pants. It's not uh, to do things by the book, steps A, B, C every single time. And There's a myriad of different strengths and personalities out there and you have to account for both sides of that coin. So when it comes to driving process, it should be simple. Simple, short, clear, easy to follow with enough room for creativity on top of it. But that simplify aspect, the reason that process exists is so that that way you don't have to figure things out from square one every single time. It's so it's scalable and repeatable and we have to remember that, folks. Like I- I've heard the example a bunch of times about, you know, when McDonald's was scaling, and I- if the food that they were making at every location was different, then you've got McDarins and McDaniel's and McDonnies across the country, and it it needed to be the same, and it got consistent through a simplified process, you know, and that's so important when. You want to have that consistent brand reputation and client experience that there's enough room for the human factor, but that things are done largely in this repeatable way, right?
1: How yeah, about- and I think early on in the the South, Kentucky McDonald's franchises were selling fried chicken, and the people in charge of keeping the brand together would show up and just put their head in their hands, just freak out because- they're not What are you doing? Yeah, this is not this is not what we do. This is not going to help us scale because now everybody's doing their own thing.
0: Yeah. All right, we've got two more here and in this episode, folks, we're going to hit the first half of the wheel of leadership. We'll have another episode that we take you through the back half or the the final six that are under positive accountability and driving engagement, but uh, we've got two left under day-to-day leadership that I do want to talk about.
1: So let's talk about solving issues. And, you know, if you're an EOS-run company, you're very familiar with this concept. You know, it's a very simple concept, but the idea is if we're a leader, we are contributing to the solution of both things that are not working, things that need decisions, and things that that are opportunities that, that need to be um, executed on. And so, you know, can we really focus on solutions? Can we leverage the, the talents around us? Do we have lists or do we have a way to quantify what are we talking about at any given time? What are all the problems that need solved? What are the opportunities we're going after and how are we going to get there? What are the steps or the milestones it will take to get there? And to the extent you can help solve issues, you know you can be an awesome leader. You don't have to have the best people skills. You don't even have to like people. You could be a very introverted person or somebody who just doesn't want to talk to people all day. But if you could solve issues, man, that is a valuable skill to have.
0: Well, yeah. But what, what are you saying? Somebody who just has to go learn everything and solve every problem, solve every issue?
1: Absolutely right. not. <laughs> nope. To, to use the skills and talents of the people around you to help solve issues, to be the tiebreaker sometimes, um, and to be, again, a great question asker to ask and explore and coach other people to, to help make decisions on things. Sometimes yeah. you do need to make decisions as a leader. Sometimes you can encourage and empower other people to make those decisions, to be creative, to brainstorm you know, potentially out-of-the-box solutions, but at the end of the day, to make sure things do get solved and get done.
0: Yeah, I, Sometimes it's as simple as solving the next step. I'm yep. Helping somebody else identify the next course of action, the, ne- the next immediate thing that they can do to work towards a solve, and at times even holding back. Right, we've we've talked about this before. Where I think earlier in your career, you place more value by having all the answers, by solving all the problems. Later in your career, you provide more value by asking the right questions instead of having all the right solutions where you actually hold back some of those solutions. And by asking questions from others, you pull that out of them. And sometimes you get to a better end product than if you just said, well, this is what we're doing. This is the way it is. And instead of having that tyrannical authoritarian approach to leadership, you're giving room and space for others to think, to learn, to grow, and to figure shit.
1: Yep. Well, if you have a list of your storms, because we would consider issues to be storms, as we've discussed in the past, you know, those... Things that we need to charge head on into to get through to the other side. Um, If we think about that, then, you know, that's that's an easy place to start. What are your current storms and what are the storms that you see on the horizon in the near future? And then there's a bridge to -to day-to-day, making sure as we're working through them, as your team is working through these issues and these storms, giving them great feedback along the way. And that is the third component of day-to-day leadership while we are driving process and people are following the process and they're potentially having ideas to innovate the processes, they're questioning the processes, whether while we're all working towards solving issues, we need to be giving consistent feedback along the way and you know radical candor is a big feedback tool for us that we really like, you know, the challenging directly because we care about someone personally and showing them those two things in combination but also feedback is not just telling somebody something. It's also asking back to that, that continuous method that we just want to talk about all the time, which is being curious and asking questions. We can give feedback by making statements and by asking questions. And at any time, you know, to help somebody understand where they stand, are they doing a good job or not? You know, that is a way we can provide day-to-day leadership by giving them the feedback and right. asking them what they think as well. We suck at that one.
0: I know I've gotten some horrible feedback, not just about horrible performance, but just delivered in just horrendous fashion. I've also delivered it in horrendous fashion. The best feedback has three components. It's a connection to the person you're giving it to, belonging that they feel they're a part of something bigger, and high standards where you're pushing them to reach higher and not settle with mediocrity. And you can so often do that if you've set the right expectations in the beginning by simply saying, how do you think you're doing here?
1: That almost sounds magical, what you're saying. It almost like, sounds That mag- would be magical in yeah. terms of if you could accomplish those three things.
0: It's It's been deemed, and it, <laughs> people might have heard of this one before, right? It, it's been deemed magical feedback because there was this study that uh, a lot of major universities, I think Yale and Stanford and a few others, did this study in school systems where they, they wanted to find the most effective way for delivering feedback. And when I say most effective, I mean, the way that would encourage the receiver of that feedback to go back and apply more effort to the work to try to do better. And what they found is when it had those three components, connection, belonging, and high standards. And I believe that it was actually phrased something to the effect of, I'm giving you this feedback I you because I have high standard. expectations for you, and I know you can reach them. Yep. I think that was as simplified down as it got. Sure. I'm giving you this feedback because I have high expectations for you, and I know you can reach them.
1: Sure. And making them feel along the way like they are they do belong there. You know, yeah. You're not here by accident. You, you know, you, this isn't, wasn't a mistake that you were put into my class, you know, if you're a teacher saying that to a student. Um, to be able to imply that and make them feel those three things that they increased the the uh students that that wanted to go back and change their tests uh change you know make additions or revisions to their papers do better the next quarter it increased that by something like 300% yeah compared to the control group where you know students were just told the the usual no this is this is wrong this is wrong this is wrong this is wrong you need to fix this need to fix this without the additional components and it doesn't cost anything extra, and it doesn't take much more time to achieve those three things. You just have to intentionally do it. And that, you know, we would consider that great or magical feedback. For
0: sure. So we're halfway through it. There's another thing taking shape as we lay these out, folks, because you've heard us now say positive accountability is a thing. And believe me, we're, we're going to open this up in tremendous detail. We feel like it's one of the largest gap areas is having difficult conversations, holding people accountable, giving criticism, new and existing accomplished managers all deal with this. Positive accountability, you can't jump straight to it. You can't just go hold somebody accountable and expect for it to be perceived positively. But some of these different skills that we hit in the first two quadrants here, giving a common goal that people rally around, intentionally building trust, taking ownership, and setting clear expectations with people, getting that confirmed understanding, you're more than halfway there to being able to accomplish a culture of positive accountability or get to a place where it's at least conceivable that it can be a positive thing, a a service, a gift to others where it's 360. We'll talk more about that on the next episode when we get into the back half of these. Pete, anything else you wanna you wanna leave off with today?
1: Oh, it's been a pleasure. I hope uh, as you're listening to this, you're doing some thinking about specific examples from your own personal life and work life, um, where you provided a great vision or someone provided a great vision for you, where potentially you or they fell short. And then from a day to day standpoint, we can we can work on any of these immediately. So, is there one of these six components that we've talked about so far that? you feel is an area to either build on today, tomorrow, and beyond, or to improve if you feel like it's a weakness. And other than that, thanks for sticking around. Stay tuned for part two as we dive into positive accountability and driving engagement.
0: Yes, sir. Uh, I was going to add something else there, but that was just such such a good way to end it. We'll just leave it at that, folks. We'll talk to you soon.
1: Thanks, guys.